Thank you for tuning in this morning to the worship broadcast of Bowglade Alliance Church. Bowglade Alliance Church is located at 425 East Canal Street North in Bowglade uh, with live worship services every Sunday at 11 a.m. For more information, visit us online at www.bowgladealliance.org. Now let's join Pastor Kevin for this morning's message. If you have your Bibles with you, please turn with me to Acts chapter 11, and we're going to start in verse 1. The apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him. It said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. Starting from the beginning, Peter told them the whole story. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheet being led, let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to where I was. I looked into it and saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles, and birds. Then I heard a voice telling me, Get up, Peter. Kill and eat. I replied, Surely not, Lord. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. The voice spoke from heaven a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times. And then it was all pulled up to heaven again. Right then, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea stopped at the house where I was staying. The Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. These six brothers also went with me. And we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen an angel appear in his house and say, Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, So then, even the Gentiles, uh, even to the Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Wow. Well, I'll tell you, that's a good resolution at the end of that passage. But it was tense there for a moment. It's interesting when you think, uh, look at who it says in verse 1. It says, the apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. So when, Ju when Peter went up to Jerusalem, they all accosted him, right? And you have to imagine from the way they set up this passage that it was the apostles who were confused and perhaps a little frustrated at what Peter had done, as well as the Jews at large who had come to believe in Jesus. And what on earth were you thinking, Peter? Yes, we believe in Jesus, but you're still a Jew. You understand, we don't do what you just did. We don't go into the home of Gentiles. We certainly don't eat with them. You've just broken the kosher dietary laws. You've done what our ancestors uh, you know, knew was wrong. You've done what people in Jewish history have died to, people have died to stand firm on the kosher laws under the reign of Antiochus, Epiphanes, and other times in history where it's eat this unclean food or die, and they have gone to their death, and you just march in the home of Cornelius and eat? What were you thinking? They were shocked. They didn't understand. They had their own presuppositions about what was going on and what Peter should and should not have done. 
And so I want to make sure we understand just a couple things about the text. When it refers to the circumcised believers, that's just a way of distinguishing between Jew and Gentile. So it was the Jewish believers in Christ, all except for Cornelius and his family were Jewish believers, and they're the ones that accosted him. And again, the apostles even were included. And the issue was this. The issue was defilement. You went into the house and ate. You did what would make you unclean. In fact, that was Peter's response when he saw the vision for the first time. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. He couldn't even imagine what the vision was showing, never mind going and accepting in uh, these Gentiles. So what, it begs the question, right? What did Peter and the others imagine would happen as the gospel began to spread as Jesus said, from Jerusalem to all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. What did they expect if not this? And it's quite possible that they expected the gospel to go forward to the Jews only in these various locations. If you remember throughout history leading up to this point, the Jews have been exiled from their land in uh, the northern kingdom in the 700s BC and the southern kingdom of Judah in the 500s BC, and not all of them ever came back. And so there were Jews living what was known as the diaspora, the dispersion spread throughout the Roman Empire, throughout the known world. And so it's quite possible that for these early Christians, when they heard the message from Jesus that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, that the mission was only to Jewish people who had gone throughout the world. It's possible that this was what they thought. And clearly this was an incorrect thought if that's what it was. It's also quite possible that they expected Gentiles to come to faith but that it would be comparable perhaps to the God-fearers that existed in Judaism at this time, that they would, in a sense, be a lower class of Christian, that they wouldn't have full inclusion, full rights, uh, full power of the Holy Spirit, all the things they saw among the Jewish believers, maybe they wouldn't have it to the same extent. And so perhaps this is what they were thinking, but clearly that was wrong as well as our text makes clear. It's clear that they did not expect the Gentiles to be equal with the Jews in Christ. And yet, as we see, God corrected their presuppositions. First Peter and the, six, and, and the, and the men that were with him, and then now all the Jew, Jewish believers in Jerusalem. And so this tension between this, this, this weird Jews and now there's this inclusion of the Gentiles, this tension exists throughout the New Testament period. I'll give you just a couple things real quick. We see Paul constantly contending against this group we know of as the Judaizers. Those who profess faith in Jesus, who are glad that the Gentiles came in the door. They believe the Gentiles came by faith in Jesus Christ, but they also believe the Gentiles had to now obey the law of Moses in order to continue in Christ. And Paul says, oh, no, 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 no. And we see Galatians especially, but several other places in the New Testament where Paul is arguing against this. But you have all of these misunderstandings and tensions that exist because God did a brand new thing. 
So we also see that Paul even rebuked Peter at one point. Oh my goodness, an apostle, apostle versus apostle. I, I'd, get a first, I'd get a front row seat to that boxing match. No, um, what happened? We see it in Galatians. He says, he says, I rebuked Peter to his face. Why? This is the same Peter we see here. Well, Peter was accustomed to going and sitting down and eating and fellowshipping with the Gentile believers. But then when Jew, Jewish believers from Jerusalem came, he stepped back from them Gentiles and he just hung out with his fellow Jewish people. And Paul said, hello, hypocrisy. What are you doing? And he rebuked him. But this tension, we see it. This is a, this is a transitional point in the history of God's salvation plan. And the people on the ground at that time were wrestling with how to move forward in the midst of this transition. And so we see that clearly here. So why this tension? Because there was now again a major transition, a turning point, a major milestone in God's salvation. So to be clear, Christianity was not supposed to be a departure from Judaism, but the next phase in God's ultimate plan of redeeming the world. You know, I think that Christianity is often caricatured in this way. This is what God used to do, but he's done with that. And now this is what God does. Or the Jewish people used to be God's chosen people, but he doesn't do that anymore. Now the church is God's chosen people. And there's these false paradigms that are displayed. That's never been the case. That's not what Christianity was intended to be. But instead, if God wasn't throwing out the old to start fresh. He was, he was merely doing what he always said he was going to do. It was the next phase of what he was doing. So I want to just take a look at that here for a minute, because what we celebrate in Cornelius, what we celebrate in the inclusion of the Gentiles is the thing that God's been saying from the beginning that he's going to do. We see it all the way back at the beginning of the Jewish people, the calling of Abraham, the father of Judaism. He says this in Genesis 12, the first three verses. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Well, what does that mean? How are all peoples on earth going to be blessed by some Semite out in the middle of nowhere and his descendants? Even when they became a nation, the nation of Israel, how are all peoples on earth going to be blessed through them? Because they were the vehicle of God's salvation. Not salvation just to the Jews, but to all people. Because what we see in the beginning is Adam and Eve, not the father and mother of the Jews, but the father and the mother of all people. And in them, all people were separated from God and sin. All people needed to be reconciled to their God. And Jesus came through the Jews so that not just the Jews, but that all people might have an opportunity to be redeemed. Remember what we talked about last week. God is the God of the whole world. And so now that Jesus has come, the benefits of a relationship with God that's been virtually exclusive to the Jews for a long time is now open and spreading among the Gentiles. And so the natural question is, what on earth does this look like? What does this new dynamic look like? God had always planned this to be the next step in the salvation plan. 
But what does it look like as it's happening right before them, as we see in these texts? After all, we have many Jewish people, descendants of Abraham, that have, that have not committed themselves to Christ at this point. And now we have Gentiles, non-Jewish people, who have committed themselves to Christ. That had to be really confusing. The Jewish Messiah has come, and yet there's many Jewish people who didn't believe in him. And yet the Jewish Messiah has come, and there are non-Jewish people who are believing in him. And this, I can't even imagine. I'm glad I was not on an elder board or governing board of the local church when all this was breaking out in the first century. I'm sorry. Um, They had to wrap their minds around what God was now doing. So it's no wonder that the Jewish believers were a little taken aback. Many of their own countrymen to whom the Messiah was promised didn't yet believe. And the mission to the Jews wasn't complete yet. There were still so many right in their midst that have yet to believe. And yet now there are Gentiles that have been reconciled to God in Jesus. And what does this look like? And Paul, himself a Jewish believer in Jesus, I think paints a really good picture for us in Romans 11. In fact, he describes the covenant of God as an olive tree. And I want to read just a little section of this for you. See, perhaps you could understand what God is doing big picture as this is playing out before us in the book of Acts. Again, if you have your Bibles with you, we'll be in Romans 11, but it will be up on the screen. Romans 11, starting in verse 17. It says, as some of the branches, that's the Jewish people, have been broken off, and you, though a wild, and he's talking to Gentiles, uh, and you, though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing sap of the olive root, do not consider yourself superior to those other branches, that's the Jewish people. If you do, consider this, you do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in. Granted, but they were broken off because of unbelief. And you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but tremble. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Consider, therefore, the kindness and sternness of God. Sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you, provided that you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. And if they do not persist in unbelief, they will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. After all, if you were cut cut out of an olive tree that is wild by nature, and contrary to nature, were grafted into a cultivated olive tree, how much more readily will these, the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? I'll break that down. We're in an agricultural town, so I'm sure you got that better than most people. But here's what he's saying. He's like, this covenant that God has with people is like an olive tree. And he's had to cut off the branches that refused to believe in the Messiah when he came. And so there are still natural branches. Those Jewish people who had given themselves to Jesus, the Messiah. But now he's also taking branches from these wild olive trees, the Gentiles, He's grafting them in so that they could take root. They can uh, receive nourishment from the source the same as the Jews. They could have a relationship, a covenant with God. But he says, don't be haughty about this because if you move away from the gospel, if you turn your back on God, guess what? He'll snip you right off too. And as far as those Jewish branches, those Jewish people who have yet yet to believe, well, guess what? If they come to believe in Jesus and surrender their life, he could take them and graft them right back in. That's the hope of the gospel. 
for both the Jew and the Gentile, that as many branches as we could, as God could use us to, to, to graft in, people, as many people as possible could come to faith and receive the salvation offered in, in God. So when Peter returned from Cornelius, you got to think this is a major victory. He had to be on this super high. Look what God has done. And yet what he faced was tension. But as Peter recounted what God revealed and what God had done, they began to understand. And really glad about that resolution we see in verse 18. It says, when they heard this, they had no further objections and they praised God, saying, so then, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. That's the right attitude. The wrong attitude is where we started. The right attitude is where we ended up. The early Jewish believers had a blind spot. You can't really blame them. It's very easy to distance ourselves from their context and look objectively and say, they shouldn't have done that, they shouldn't have thought that. And that's true, we're not gonna take that away. But we understand the cultural conditioning that perhaps led them or gave them a, uh, you know, made them prone to think this way. But the response when challenged, the response when convicted, the response when hearing what God was doing and desired of them, we see a good response of repentance and embracing what God was doing. But they had a blind spot. They assumed the gospel was intended only for them, or at least especially for them. And God didn't put this boundary on the gospel. This was never something that God had revealed. This is not written in the Old Testament that it's only for them and not for the Gentiles. This has never been from God. This was their own understanding or misunderstanding, if you will, of God's purposes. And thankfully, God intervened and helped them to get past their blind spots. I'll put it to you this way. If God did not, I would be in this room alone today. Why? Because I think I'm the only Jew here. My wife probably wouldn't even have married me because uh, she wouldn't have been a believer. And therefore, my kids wouldn't be here. So I'd be standing at the pulpit all by myself. It'd be a really lonely place. So we're glad that they got on board with what God was doing. He was breaking through not just to the Jews, but to all people, the Gentiles as well, reconciling all people to himself. But if we're being honest, yes, the Jews had blind spots, which if left unchecked, would have prohibited the, the advance of the gospel. And every generation since then, for the last 2,000 years, guess what? People had blind spots that have prohibited the gospel at different times. And guess what? Maybe uncomfortable to say, but we do too. I think all people have blind spots, but Christians have them in terms of their relationship with people who are different than them, and this prohibits the gospel from going forward as it should. I'll give a couple of uncomfortable examples, make you think twice about coming to church next week. So I, I won't name names, and actually none of the people on this list are from this church, so you don't have to look around and say, who is this? But I had a white Christian uh, female friend at a point in the past at one of my other churches I was at, and she confessed to me privately that she felt very uncomfortable, in fact, irrationally afraid every time she engaged in a conversation with a black person. I know of, I have a black brother in Christ, good friend, who confessed to me that years ago, the Lord has checked him in this, but for many years, 
he involuntarily would roll his eyes and sigh every time he was about to engage in a conversation with a white person. I know many people who have told me that they will never engage in Jewish evangelism. Remember, Jewish evangelism in New York, where we're from, that was a big thing because there's so many Jews there. And there would always be opportunities to partner with Jews for Jesus or chosen people's ministry. And the response I often got was this. I'm not going to do that because Jewish people are just so hard and closed off to the gospel. So they don't engage. Many Christians, when Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormons come up the street, turn the lights off in their home and pretend they're not there. Raise your hand if that's you. No, don't do that. Don't raise your hand. Many Christians pretend not to see homeless people, pretend not to see beggars, perhaps even cross the street or cross the parking lot when they see them coming. Many Christians know how to say no habla espanol perfectly and shut down a conversation, but despite our South Florida context, never had any inclination to learn Spanish so that they could have gospel-centered conversations and relationships. I'll be perfectly honest that I could have kept going longer and longer and longer. And remember, I didn't name any names, so if you're feeling convicted at this moment, you could talk to God and not to me. Here's the thing. This is not unique to our culture. This is not unique to Christians. This is true of all people, right? Uh, we, people in general, like to, they feel comfortable with people who look like them, speak like them, act like them, believe what they believe. And anybody outside of those categories tends to make them feel uncomfortable. The problem is, instead of doing anything about it, they remain blind spots. And they don't do anything to rectify these issues. Blind spots are obstacles to the gospel. They're not from God. All of these things are our own hang-ups, our uh, cultural constructions. None of this is from God. He doesn't put things in place to divide people and keep people apart so that they don't have fellowship, so the gospel won't come forth. God is not putting obstacles in his own path. God is the God of the whole world. Every human being is his creation, created in his image, and he desires to save because he loves. So how do we overcome this? Because we all have our own, we don't all have the same, but everybody has blind spots, right? All Christians have, all people have blind spots, but Christians, we've got an important mission. We can't deal with blind spots. Blind spots can't be there. We have to seek God in overcoming them. How do we overcome them? I'm going to give three suggestions today. I'm not an expert. This isn't an exhaustive list, but I encourage you to at least hear these out. Here's the first one. Recognize that all people are created in God's image. He loves them, and he desires to save, this, to save them. I'm going to say that again. All human beings are created equally in God's image. He loves them all equally and desires to save them all equally. We see the Jewish people learn this real quick in chapter 11 of Acts. And this is true. And I think we know this, right? I think that intellectually we could affirm this. I don't think anybody in here be like, oh, I never knew that. <laughs> I think all of us get that. But there's, there's a disconnect sometimes between theory and practice, between what we know in our minds and the way in which we live out our lives. There's a disconnect. And uh, you know, I used to watch G.I. Joe in the 80s, and what do they say at the end? Uh, and knowing is half the battle. G.I. Joe. Yeah, so you have to, knowing is half the battle. So be aware 
if this is your blind spot. If you know one thing in your mind, but you live out something different, well, do something about it. Now that you know, act on what you know. All people are created in God's image and God's likeness. We see this at the very beginning, Genesis chapter 1. Genesis 1, verse 26 and 27, it says, Then God said, Let us make mankind, humanity, in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And so there's no category of human being that is outside of this biblical claim. All human beings equally are created in the image of God. doesn't matter if they're male or female, whether they speak English or another language, whether they're young or old, whether they have darker skin or lighter skin, whether we believe the same things or we disagree with them wholeheartedly over so many things, whether they're kind or they're mean, it doesn't matter. All people are created in God's image. The Bible urges us to act rightly toward other people because of the fact that they are created in God's image. I'll give you two examples. Genesis 9-6 warns us not to shed human blood because human beings are created in the image of God. Oh, wait, that's just the Old Testament. That's not the New Testament. All right, James 3-9 implies that it's wrong to curse human beings because guess what? They're created in God's image. And so we are called to act rightly toward other people because of the very image of God in them. Our conduct toward others ought always to be out of a posture of respect for the image of God in our fellow man. And the greatest respect we can demonstrate, the best way that we can honor the image of God in another person is to share the gospel with them. Think of these, just these quick little phrases from biblical passages I know you're familiar with. For God so loves the world. And you know the context of that passage. God wishes that none should perish, but all would come to repentance. And we are to go and make disciples of all nations. The early church needed a course correction so that they could overcome their stumbling block, their blind spot. And I think modern Christians do as well. And part of that is recognizing that all people are created in the image of God, that God loves them, and that he desires for them to be saved. So how else do we overcome our blind spots? Here's the second one. This could be one of those things that I really hope you put into practice. And I will even seek greater opportunities to put this in practice in my own life. Establish and foster relationships with people who are different from you. I'll say it again. Establish and foster relationships with people who are different from you. If it makes you uncomfortable to build a relationship with somebody, that's great. That's an indication. That's the person you're supposed to build a relationship with. If it's easy to build a relationship with somebody, okay, it's good to build a relationship with them, but that's probably not doing what we're talking about here. Establish and foster a relationship with people who are different from you. Different in what ways? In any ways. Again, everybody has different blind spots, but, and you know what they say about people who do the same thing but expect different results, right? So if we're just doing the same thing, we're not going to make any progress in this area. How do we move from acknowledging our blind spots to overcoming them? We have to take intentional actions. And so if you have no Latino friends, get out and start introducing yourself to some Latino people. If 
That whole, if that person who's standing outside asking for money at Walgreens approaches you, I'm not even telling you to give them or not give them money, but treat them like a human being and have a conversation with them. Start, build and foster. What does that mean? Kevin, I had a conversation with somebody who's different from me. Check. No. Build and foster a relationship for the sake of the relationship to get to know the other person, to call somebody a friend who you never thought you would have ever called a friend before. What if they're, wait, wait, wait. What, if, what if they don't speak my language as their primary language? Good. What if uh, they're at a completely different social, you know, or financial status than I am? Good. What if they don't live in the same part of town as me? Good. That's the person I want you to build a relationship with and foster it. Here's the third one. Create opportunities to share the gospel with those who are different from you. Create opportunities to proclaim the gospel to other people. So I'm not saying go stand on the street corner and yell at that person who's different from you that they need to believe in Jesus. That's why the relationship comes first. But look for opportunities. Create opportunities to share the gospel. Building and maintaining relationships is a good start, but we need to bring the gospel. And that'll truly demonstrate that you care about that other person. And we all need to do this more. For whatever your blind spot is, identify it and pray that God will help you, transform you, enable you, empower you to transcend what's comfortable for the sake of the gospel. And we won't have the same hang-ups as our first century Jewish counterparts. And then we can see the gospel go forward in beautiful and diverse ways everywhere we go. I just want to give you some, some, some facts that I'm sure you already know. Uh, we are a prim primarily Anglo congregation in a community that is less than 9% Anglo. Our church does not represent our community. That's just a fact. Um, we have more Spanish speakers in this town than English speakers, it seems, or at least pretty close to even on that. And I would guess that probably a majority of us don't know how to speak Spanish fluently enough to have a conversation with another people, another person. So anyway, I'm done poking at you and making you uncomfortable. But please, and I'm, I'm challenging myself on this too, let's not walk out of here, go to lunch, and forget all about this regardless of what we're feeling now. Let's get on our knees before God and say, Lord, you're the God of the whole world. I'm your son or daughter. My mission is to advance the gospel. Show me where to do that right here in my town.